Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. This is the word of God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Vince, for reading that. Morning, everybody. Let's get this right out of the way real quick. I am Kenny. Some of you guys, some of you guys have never seen me without a beard. Um, and 10 or 12 years of knowing me, so um, you are probably confused. I've got a lot of confused looks today. People ask me if I got a haircut, and I'm like, yep, on my face. Um, but anyways, I am Kenny. Glad to be here. Glad to be uh, with my church family and speaking today. And also, I just want to say something at the beginning before I start the message. Uh, many of you, most of you probably know um, that uh, uh, some families in our, that are part of our church family are mourning too. Uh, mourning uh, today, Finn and Ann uh, lost their son um, in an accident uh, a little over a week ago, and um, so we're praying for them, and um, it's also Hannah Moore's brother, so we're praying for the Erickson family and the Moore family. I know a lot of you guys have already served them and, and come around them, and I just want to ask you to keep praying for them. Um, you know, Scripture says, we rejoice with those who rejoice, and we weep with those who weep, and uh, as a church today, we have a little bit of both going on because we're rejoicing that all that God's done over the last five years, um, and we're also weeping with those who are weeping and mourning with them and praying for them as they grieve. So I just want to commend you um, for doing that and their GCM for um, really being there for them and taking care of them and uh, just say continue to do that and continue to hold them up. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we're speaking on Ephesians today. Um, I believe this is going to be the last message that we give on this book, uh, which has been an awesome series, and uh, Vince read uh, right to the end of the letter today. 
Um, but as we begin, I want you to imagine with me uh, this morning, um, the morning of Tuesday, June 6th, 1944, 6.30 a.m., 5,000 ships are sailing, carrying about 160,000 troops, allied forces, and they are going um, to the beaches of France, Normandy, and it's going to be the largest seaborne invasion in the history of Earth. Um, the troops are on their way there. Some of the American soldiers remember the last things they heard on their ships in the intercom before they landed. Fight to get your troops ashore. Fight to save your ships. And if you've got any strength left, fight to save yourself. Others, others heard, this is it. Pick it up. Put it on. You've got a one-way ticket. This is the end of the line. And they jumped out and into, their only goal was to get on the shore. 2,500 American soldiers died that day, most of them in about 15 minutes. Many of the men who showed up had to step over bodies in the water just to try to get to the sand. And as I'm talking about that, I don't know about you, but for me, it makes me grateful. It makes me think of all the um, people who have sacrificed for the cause of freedom that we enjoy, the, even the freedom to come here and worship freely that we enjoy. And makes me incredibly grateful for that. But I also bring it up for another reason today, because I can guarantee you that none of the men who were doing that, none of the troops, were under any delusions about what they were there to do. Just because they were going to a beach in France, none of them thought they were going to a nice vacation beach day on an exotic beach in France. They knew they were headed into a war, into a battle with people and machine guns on the other side, who an enemy that wanted nothing more than to destroy them in their tracks. At the end of Ephesians, you guys heard it as Vince read it, Paul writes to show us that we are in the middle of a battle just like that, with an enemy no less fierce who is set on destroying you and destroying me. And the, the problem that we have, that we face pretty much in everyday life is this. We don't always remember that we're going to war. We don't remember that we're in a battle. We sometimes treat our lives like it's supposed to be a vacation. We, don't, we, we treat it like we're, we're supposed to make it our playground, not a battleground, yeah. that it is. And whether, whether you want to admit it or not, and some of you already know it, and some of you are trying to deny it, but we are in a fight. We are in a spiritual battle for our souls. You are in a battle, whether you like it or not, or whether you acknowledge it or not. And if you don't wake up to the fact, you're very likely to be a casualty of this battle that is for your soul. It would be crazy to show up to D-Day with a beach towel and a surfboard, right? But some of us are doing that in the spiritual battle from Monday to Sunday. We just think it's going to be good, and we get surprised when we get knocked upside the head with some spiritual attack. Anyone? I've felt that. I do that all the time. So Paul starts his conclusion to the book of Ephesians. He says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. He's saying we're not, our battle is not with other human beings. It's not flesh and blood. I know some of you want me to say, yeah, we got an enemy and I know who it is. <laughs> no, it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We are in a spiritual battle. And it sounds weird to us. It sounds weird to our culture. We don't like to think in those terms. 
Actually, the broad, some people in the broader culture are spiritual, but a lot of people say, oh, no, that's not. That's just what the ancient people said to kind of describe the adversity they went through in life. But Paul believed in an unseen spiritual realm, but it's not just Paul who's writing this. Jesus believed in an unseen spiritual realm. In fact, much of his everyday ministry was in direct conflict with demonic forces. You know, the way he described his ministry was, I'm here to proclaim liberty to the captives which implies that there are captive people that I'm here to release. So we might struggle with it. Um, C.S. Lewis said it well. He said there's two uh, equal and opposite errors. I think I have the quote. Two equal and opposite errors into which the human race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist and a magician with the same delight. Here's what I'm saying. Some people act like Satan. I I get it. Some people act like Satan is behind every bad circumstance, right? There's like a devil behind every rock. Like, like, you know, the prices went up at my favorite, you know, on my favorite California burrito and the devil's trying to get me not to tithe and like the... Devil made me do it, this and that, right? So that, that's, that's not healthy. But then on the other side, and, and I think it's much more common in our culture, we just ignore it at all. We don't even think there is a spiritual, but we make the error of ignoring our enemy. And, and here's the thing. Uh, Satan could care less whether or not you believe in him. He's not after you recognizing him. He's after your destruction. First Peter 5.8 says this. Be alert, be of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. See, Satan is like a hunter. Our spiritual enemy is like a hunter. Uh, He doesn't uh, really care if you recognize or believe in him or not. In fact, it's actually better if you don't see him. He's going to take you out. That's his goal. It doesn't matter if you acknowledge him. He is set on destroying you. And yet, we we don't often see it. We see... I mean, our, our world is filled with the effects of evil, with the effects of spiritual battle. And maybe, maybe we admit it when it gets really obvious. Maybe we admit it uh, on Easter in Sri Lanka when there's attacks and hundreds of people die, or, or in New Zealand when people are shot in a mosque, or in Poway uh, at the Kabaz shooting last week. Maybe we admit it and we say, okay, that's evil. Um, but we often don't see it in, in the nitty-gritty every day of life. We don't see it in the everyday relationships in our family, in our marriages, in our homes. Here's what I'm saying. It's not an accident that this passage in Ephesians is right next to the passage on marriages, families, and work. (laughs) He's talking about this this is what it's like to have the gospel in your marriage. This is what it's like to have the gospel in your family. This is what it's like to have the gospel on your job. And by the way, there's a spiritual battle. That's where it shows up. One of the easy ways to look is just look in, in, in the rearview mirror of your life and see when were those times where the temptation was just too strong at the perfect moment or the wrong person came into your life at the right time. And that's when you're going to begin to see there is a battle for my soul. It's in the trials that we face. It's in the temptations that we face. It's in the everyday relationships And so this passage says we need to be alert and we need to know how to do battle. And this scripture, that's why uh, we have this scripture, because it tells us how we can do battle. 
Because it's not a losing fight. Anyone know that? It's not a losing fight. The the scriptures didn't tell us this just to scare us out of our minds. (laughs) God has given us his word to encourage us. And so I want to touch on the four points from the passage that, that we can do, how we can experience victory in this battle that we're facing. You guys ready? Yeah. All right. First point, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Verse 10, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And here's the thing. When the blinders come off and you realize that you're in the middle of a spiritual battle, that can get really overwhelming. Has anyone ever felt that? When, you, when all of a sudden you realize like, oh, this is, this is spiritual attack. And it's like, whoa, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I have weapons. I, uh, <laughs> what do I do? And the first thing I want to say is if that's where you are, if the thought of spiritual battle and an enemy that is out to destroy you makes you feel unprepared and not ready and not strong, that's actually the best place that you can be in. That's the best place that you can be in. It's a little bit counterintuitive because our culture says when you're up against adversity, you got to find the strength within. Look within. I don't know where it is, but look within. And you're going to find the strength within yourself to become the champion that you were meant to be. I sound like a 90s Disney movie or something. I don't know. But that's, I, it sounds like I'm making fun, but th- I think we have that cultural belief. It's within me. But the scriptures don't say that. The scriptures say, be strong in the Lord. It's a passive verb. It's be strengthened in the Lord, in the power of his might, not in your power. It's not about your power or my power. It's about his power. And so we're called to be strong in him. In the Christian life, the way to receive salvation, the first thing is to realize that you can't do anything to save yourself. Amen? It's the same way to receive spiritual power. The first step is to realize I don't have the strength in myself to face this battle that I'm facing. I need the power of God. And I love how J.D. Greer says this point. He says, weakness is an advantage because dependence is the objective. Weakness is an advantage because dependence is the objective. That's why Paul says, he says that the Lord told him, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul said, therefore, I'll boast all the more in my weaknesses, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Can I get an amen? Amen. Here's how that works. Our areas of weakness are where we most naturally are going to rely on God's strength. So don't be ashamed of your weaknesses. Boast in them, because that's where you need to meet Christ. And that's where you know, that's where you, you, there's no... uh, Uh, there's no fool in yourself. There's no self-deception. I am weak here, and I need to be strong in the Lord, not in my own strength. I can't do this. (laughs) Luckily for us, in the book of Ephesians, we've been hearing it over and over. That's actually a theme is God's power, God's power at work for us, in us. Some of you guys are going to remember this. We were dead in sin, but now we're alive in Christ. We were objects of wrath, but now we're his glorious inheritance. We were far from God, but now we've been brought near. We were foreigners, but now we're fellow citizens and God's people. We were in darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. And we didn't do any of that. Who did that? Jesus. 
So that's what it means to be strong in the Lord. It means to realize that our strength comes from him who Ephesians 3.20 says, the one who has power to do exceedingly more than all we can ask or think according to the power which mightily works in us. First point is it's about Jesus. It's not about us. It's about his power. It's not about our power. And we've got to depend on that resurrection power of Jesus at work in us. So how can we practically do that? And that brings us to the next point in the passage. Verse 11 says, put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So what is this armor and how do we put it on? Anyone ever heard of the armor of God before? Yeah? Uh, Maybe you had it on, if you grew up in church, maybe you saw it on a flannel graph with a cool picture and fiery darts and... um, So this is the passage that's based on, and Paul lays out uh, six weapons or pieces of armor that are supposed to defend us and that we're supposed to use in spiritual battle. And the picture that he's giving us, that Scripture is giving us, is a fully armed soldier who's ready to go. And um, if you grew up in church or uh, if you've heard a lot about spiritual warfare, sometimes we focus so much on the armor, um, it can get a little bit funny, right? We get so caught up in, well, what is the breastplate of righteousness? And does it go just on the front or is it the back? Or where does it tie? Like, where do you tie the belt um, spiritually? Like, I don't, like, I, I have a few pictures, I think, just because we get fascinated with it. That one's pretty cool. Go to the next one. There's about, okay, that one's pretty medieval. Um, next one. Yeah, so we've got, a lot of those, and I'm not going to break each one of those down. I'm just bring, and those are those are cool. I'm just saying sometimes we can we can go get off base when all we do is get so focused on what is this piece of weaponry and what is it supposed to do and how is it spiritually. And I think what we can do is we can get off on a tangent when um, what Paul is doing here is not a tangent. It's actually a conclusion to his letter. How many know in good writing you never bring up new content right at the end, right? <laughs> You don't say, and finally, here's a new subject, right? (laughs) And that's what this passage starts with, finally. Well, what has Paul been talking about for six chapters? The gospel, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and what it means for us, that we were dead and now we're alive, that we were slaves and now we're free, and how it applies to our lives and how it applies to our marriages and how it applies to our work. And now he says, finally. So what is he saying here? He's he's saying that this armor is the way of you applying the gospel truth to your life in everyday life. And I'm going to give you all these metaphors that are going to let you know that you are prepared. You've just got to put on the armor. You've got to make a practice of putting this armor on and walking in the truth that has been given to us in Christ. Amen. We can go forward. (laughs) Or to, I don't know. (laughs) I love the way the message puts it. Um, If you read that translation sometimes, it it says this in this passage. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. That's what we're doing here when we talk about the armor of God and, and fighting our spiritual enemy. It's learning to apply the truths that God has given us in the gospel. Amen? So for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through all six and apply every single one, although I think that is 
a beautiful and good thing to do, and it's worth it. And the reason I'm not going to do it is because you could do a whole series on it, and I'm not doing a whole series today. I'm doing one message, one part of one message, but I do want to highlight a few of those things, right? So you got the belt of truth, right? It says put on the belt of truth, just as an example. So a belt in, for Roman soldiers, uh, an important piece of armor, it guards your core, it gathers your garments, it's where you would hang your sword, um, you need a belt as part of your armor if you're going to go into battle. Um, otherwise, you get caught with your pants down. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but the, the, the belt of truth, it's, it's there to protect our core. And so what's the metaphor here? Satan will attack the very core of who you are. Satan goes after identity. It's the oldest trick in the book, and he, he hasn't come up with new ones. The, 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 truth, the truth is who you are in Christ. The gospel has given you a new identity in Christ. You are much loved by the Father. The king of the universe loves you. And Satan will go after that, the core of who you are. That's what he did to Jesus. If you remember when Jesus was tempted, what did Satan do when he came to him? If you are the son of God. And you know what had just happened? Jesus had just been baptized and a voice from heaven said, you are my beloved son in who I am well pleased. And then immediately Jesus goes out to the desert and he gets tempted. And what does the devil attack first? If you are the son of God, do this. If you're really who you say you are, if you're really who God says you are, then this would be different. I'm here to tell you today, the devil does the same thing to us today. If you were really a Christian, then you wouldn't be going through this. If, you, if God really loved you, you wouldn't be struggling with that, that this much. God doesn't love you. How could he love you? God hasn't forgiven you. Why would he? Look at what you did. Anyone ever heard that besides me? Come on, we're getting real. That is what our enemy does. If you've, if you've heard those thoughts, you have experienced spiritual warfare. I want to connect the dots for you. I can't do it. It's a very... If, I can't do it. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit connects the dots. But that's where Satan comes against us, the truth of who Jesus says you are in Christ, the truth of the gospel, this truth that we rejoice in. We say, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. I'm no longer dead in sin. I have new abundant life in Christ. And that on Monday morning is where the devil will hit you. He said, yeah, I know you sang about it, but I don't know if you really believe it. And so the scripture says, put on the belt of truth. Put on that gospel identity. Put on that summary of the gospel that we talk about all the time here, that, that you're more sinful and flawed in yourself than you ever dared believe, and yet you're more uh, loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than you ever dared hope. Put on that belt of truth. You're not just tolerated by God. You're loved by God. You're not a beggar in the kingdom, but a child of the king. You have an inheritance of glory coming to you. This is the belt of truth. Put it on. The shield of faith talks about. I love this image. That, that uh, There's interesting things about the Roman shields in the time when Paul writes this. One thing that is that they were, the front was covered with leather, and they would soak them in water before battle. And so the scripture says, uh, you put on the shield of faith so that you can extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. And that's literally what Roman so soldiers and their shields would do. That when a fiery dart would ever 
come, they would hold their shield up and the dart itself would be extinguished by the shield. Not only would it cover them, but the fire would go out. The other thing was that the Roman shields were built to be linked together to their brothers so that they could stand side by side. The shield of faith means trusting in everything that God, all the assurances that God has given us in the gospel. Everything that Jesus says about you is true in him. And you need that shield when the enemy is throwing doubts your way. Anyone been there? All kinds of, all kinds of trials, temptations, doubts. You're not, who, you're not who God says you are. You're not worth anything, whatever it is. Or, or God's not real or you didn't really experience him. All those kind of doubts come our way. And we're supposed to use, what are we supposed to use? Faith. Faith is a shield against all that. It's not an argument. It's not that we're proving things. It's that we have faith in Jesus. And the other thing I love about that is that it's not in isolation. It's linked up with brothers. How often when we're feeling those fiery darts, what do we do? We, We believe in our doubts instead of doubting our doubts. And we isolate from our brothers and sisters. It breaks my heart every time I see it. I've done it too, but that's what we do. And that's why we need the shield of faith because we've got to have faith to put out the fiery darts and we've got to link up with our brothers and sisters and say, I, I'm, I'm under heavy fire right now. I, can, I, can I use your shield? <laughs> can we link up? I need your shield. The sword of the spirit. Sword of the spirit. Everyone, all the kids love the sword because that's the offensive weapon. <laughs> the only one you get to fight with, right? (laughs) Um, The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What's the Bible telling us? Believers need to know and use the Scriptures as a means of defense against every form of demonic attack. And the way you go on the offense in the kingdom is through God's Word. Not through your own Word, not through your own ideas or opinions, through God's Word. The victory you will experience in spiritual battle will be related to your knowledge and use of the word in your life. Oh, y'all aren't with me. Y'all aren't with me. The victory you experience in this battle that we're talking about will be related to how much you know and understand and use the word of God in your life. First, the first temptation, the first words of the devil in the Bible are this. Did God really say? Telling y'all he doesn't have new tricks. (laughs) It's the same. Well, I know the Bible says that, but does God say that? Did God really say that? The way Jesus fought temptation with Satan was how? It is written. Every, every time the devil came up against them, he didn't say, well, yeah, well, here's why you're wrong, Satan. No. no, he said, it is written. He went back to the word of God every single time. And if, if success in spiritual battle is dependent on knowing and applying the word, brothers and sisters, why don't we know it better? Why isn't it higher on our priority? Why isn't it higher on our list? I know that's challenge, but I'm feeling it too, Okay. It's a, it's a loving challenge. I know, I know I've heard people say it's hard. It's hard, to, it's hard to read the Bible. It's hard to memorize passages. And the same people know every lyric on every top 40 song <laughs> from every decade. 
I, it's eggshells all over. It's crunch, crunch. No. I'm just saying, we need to know the Word of God. Parents, your kids need to know the Word of God. They're not going to learn it at school. They're not going to learn it from the things they watch. They need to know the Word of God, not just for knowledge's sake, but for application in our lives. The, the, the things that the Scriptures are applying to here is saying, we, need to, we didn't need to know how to specifically use the Word of God. We need to know it so that we can specifically use it in situations where it's needed. Give you an example. I grew up, some of you guys already know this. I, when I grew up, I was, um, grew up in the Bible Belt, and I grew up, uh, I was a Bible quizzer. <laughs> Vince is cheering for me back there. <laughs> I was a Bible quizzer, and, and I was good at it. But here's the thing. I, it was, and, and this was intense. This was King James only. And this was over 500 verses a year. I did it for six years. So I learned over 3,000 verses. And they would quiz you. And if you missed one word or if you, said, if you made a word plural and it wasn't plural, you missed it. Shame. It was intense. Yeah, shame. <laughs> right? Intense, intense, intense. And I'm bragging. Bra- I'm, wait, I'm not bragging. I'm bringing that up not to brag. <laughs> Bringing that up, not to brag, I'm actually, I'm actually bringing it up to say there's some parts of that that I was ashamed of because a lot of that, my, it, here's the thing, it can be just about knowledge, right? It can be, I made it about competition, right? I loved it. I was, I was competing every time. And yeah, we prayed before every competition, but I had that like, <laughs> I'm going to win <laughs> so that I can be proud of, right? Like, what is that? You're seeing a little bit in this heart. Um, but here's the, here's the flip side of that. Even though there was parts of it where I regret, and I'm like, man, that was all about competition. What was I doing? Here's, here's the other part of it. The word got in my heart in spite of myself, in spite of my pride. And I'm thankful that I did it because I can't tell you how many times I've been going through something or someone's been telling me something where the word is there. You know, I Bible quizzed before Google, like it was a thing, right? So the word is there. But I'm just bringing that up to say it, it is the word of God gives us strength. It's our sword in the armor. It's what we fight with. And if we don't know it and if we refuse to learn it, if we don't apply it to our lives, why do we expect to win this war? We need it. We need it. We need it. We, uh, that's why we push CBR, the, the city Bible reading, every week. We, we tell, uh, you've got to do it. You've got to know the word. It's got to be in your heart, not just for knowledge's sake and not for pride's sake and not to say, look what, spiritual points, look what I did, God. I memorized this many verses. No, it's so that you can know it because you need it in battle. You need it in battle. Study it, memorize it, meditate on it. Whatever it is, we need the sword of the spirit. And then it talks about the breastplate of righteousness. It talks about shoes, the preparation of the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation. But like I said, I don't have time for all of it. So go study it. Oh, there's your homework assignment, right? There's the, you can get the sword of the spirit by studying the rest of the armor. Everyone good? All right, we're going forward. Next point. We got to put on the full armor of God. Why? What's the objective? Stand. Stand. Stand firm. Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. I I think if we just listen to repetition there, I think the point is to stand. (laughs) 
Did everyone catch that? Is it just me? I'm not making that up, right? Stand. How many know that life will come at you? Life will come at you. Trials will come at you. The enemy will try to use every trial that you go through to bring you down. And sometimes they stack up one on top of the other, on top of the other, on top of the other. You're just handling one, and then two more come along, and you're like, what? I know many things, many hard things, even trials are going through in our family right now, in our church family. And there's so many opportunities for the enemy to take a foothold and to sow doubt or to bring conflict in the middle of that or to, or to bring isolation or people withdrawing or uh, to bring gossip or a lack of love or a cold heart towards someone. But the scripture says, stand, stand. No matter what you face, no matter it may take everything, once you have that armor on, you've got to stand. You've got to stand firm. You've got to take your Stand. How many know standing is kind of defensive, right? It's, it's, it doesn't seem like too much is happening. And, and maybe you thought, okay, we're talking about spiritual battle. We're talking about charging, right? And there's room for that, but standing is valuable. And I want to remind you, maybe you've heard it before, but Christians have a, have a unique way of fighting because we're not fighting. You don't have to fight for victory in your life. You're fighting from victory. You don't have to fight in your strength for the victory. The fight that you're in is from victory that Christ has won on your behalf. And you're facing a battle, but nothing can take you down as long as you stand. I think of that. uh, Anyone play the King of the Hill game when you're a kid, right? There's just, you don't need much. There's just a mound of dirt. And a group of friends, and it's whoever can be on top and stay there, right? Well, if you're there on top, what's your goal? You're not running down and taking care. No, you're standing, and you're trying your hardest to stand, right? And that's all you can do. I think of that, I think of that picture, that Christ has given us the victory and called us to stand in it and watch him fight our battles for us. Everything we've seen so far points to this. We fight with God's power, not our own. We fight using God's weapons that he gave us, not our own. We fight in a battle that's already been decided because Jesus rose again on the third day. Amen? And we know how the story ends. And so we're called stand. No matter what comes against you, no matter the wind, no matter the rain, no matter the conditions, no matter what you think you can't make it through it, stand I love the quote that I heard from CrossFit, but it's still redeemable. Um, <laughs> if you don't quit, you win. And me, that was like encouraging. <laughs> I heard that at a point in life. I was like, that's all I needed to hear, man. If you don't quit, you win. If you don't quit... You win. I, I like uh, the way Isaac Watts, the great hymn writer, said it a few hundred years ago. Hell and your sins resist your course, but hell and sin are vanquished foes. Your Jesus nailed them to the cross and sang the triumph when he rose. Woo-hoo. Be strong in the Lord. Put on the full armor and stand. But then the next part, there is offense. Everyone's like, yes, we get the fight too. <laughs> 
The next part talks about how we go on offense. It says this, verse 18. After he outlines all the armor, he says, pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. You know what's interesting to me is most commentators divide this up and say, oh, this is, he's moving on to a new thought. But some of them have pointed out recently, no, he's continuing in the same thought because prayer is what you do when you get all the armor on. Prayer is how you get up and fight when you've got the armor of God, when you've applied the truth and, uh, of the gospel to your life. Prayer is how you go on the offense. Prayer is how you fight. Prayer is the most important thing that you can do, one of the most important things you can do in your life for anything and for anyone and for yourself or for anyone else. Mother Teresa said, God shapes the world by prayer. The more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be, the mightier the forces against evil. And Martin Luther said it this way, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Um, about 10 years ago, I went on a missions trip to Kenya, and um, the first trip I'd gone on, and it was about three months long, and we experienced uh, what I would call, looking back, a lot of spiritual attack kind of on our, on our team, and uh, I think we had a team of like 25 people, and a third of us by the end of the trip didn't make it, <laughs> uh, either went, were sent home or had to go home for medical reasons or all sorts of stuff. And um, there were people who were sick, like, the whole time. Um, and I remember we would go out on ministry teams, and there was a few people who said, we're, we're not going to go out on ministry. We're going to stay behind and pray for you guys. And uh, it's funny to admit, looking back, but I, think, I remember thinking in my head, like, yeah, right, you guys just can't cut it. Like, <laughs> you're too tired to go out there and do ministry, you know, so, okay, go ahead and pray all day. Yeah, we know you're just going to sleep. <laughs> That was in my mind. But looking back, I have a totally different view. Because I think about all that I was able to see God do in ministry, all the different miracles, all the different things that God was doing. And I know it wouldn't have happened if there weren't people praying for us, fighting that battle in prayer. Even though they couldn't go out there themselves, they were praying for us. And Paul, when he gets to all the armor, he says, that's what you do. You pray. And he says, pray, he says the word all four times. He says, pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests for all the Lord's people always. You guys see that? Yet we know prayer is important, right? And yet sometimes I'm guilty of just some, some, instead of all, just some in every category, right? I pray on some occasions with some kinds of prayers and requests. For some of the Lord's people, sometimes. I love what Corey Ten Boom said. She said, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? What would happen if prayer was the main thing we did with our minds and our mouths? What if prayer, what if prayer was where, how we turn to God? F.B. Meyer said this, the greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. 
The greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. It's our wake-up call to prayer right there. The hymn writer said, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Charles Spurgeon said this, We should pray when we're in a praying mood, for it would be sinful to neglect so fair an opportunity. We should pray when we're not in a proper mood, for it would be dangerous to remain in so unhealthy a condition. (laughs) We should pray all the time. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. How how many know that uh, there's nothing that changes your worries into worship quicker than prayer? Even you're in the middle of work, you're in the middle of being busy, and something that changes your attitude It changes the peace you have. It changes the hope you're able to portray and give to other people when you pray. When instead of just worrying it and thinking on it in your own mind, in your own strength, without your armor, (laughs) you take a moment and say, God, I need your strength. I'm weak. Show me your strength in my weakness. God, I need you. I can't, I don't know the right thing to do here on the job. I don't know what to do. Help me make a decision. I trust in you. God, I don't know how to fix this with my marriage. I need your help. I need your help right now. I need it. I can't do it. We can't do it. God, I need to know what to say to my kid. I I pray at all times, all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests for all the Lord's people. Always keep on doing it because that's the way we advance the kingdom of God. That's the way the kingdom comes into our hearts. That's the way the power of God is released in our neighborhoods, on our job sites, in our homes, is through prayer. Amen? Can I get an amen? You guys imagine, just a second, if if we really believe that prayer is how we do battle. If, If prayer is how we advance the kingdom of God on earth. If prayer is how we come into alignment with God, it's not that God changes by our prayer, it's that we are changed by God while we pray. What an opportunity that is. What a joy is offered to us in that. Amen? I don't know how I'm doing on time, but I'm going to stop. <laughs> Coming to an end here. We're told to be strong in the Lord, to put on the whole armor of God, to apply the gospel to our lives, to stand firm when all we can do, we've done everything we can do just to stand. And then to pray. And as the passage, as the book closes out, it, it gives a blessing and, and a farewell. And it says, peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. This is a reminder in that last phrase that the love that God has put in us will never die. 
And that, isn't that the longing of our hearts? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but a love that never dies, that's why it's in all the movies that we love. <laughs> a love that never ends, and yet that's what the gospel gives us. If you're here today and you've never heard that gospel, it's, the best way I can say it is this. God designed you for good, but you have a problem, and it's called sin. All of us have that. And it's done all kinds of problems in, in our relationships, in our lives, but the biggest problem is that it's, it's caused problems in our relationship with God. That sin has destroyed us and separated us from God, but Jesus came and he went on the cross to redeem us, to buy us back, to redeem us for better, to wash away our sins and forgive us. And when we trust in him, he heals us and he heals the broken areas of our lives, and he begins to send us out together into the world to heal. And if, if you're hearing that for the first time and you're believing it, turn to God. You don't, you don't have to use my words, whatever your words are, but just say, Jesus, I believe that, and I need you to save me. I can't do it in my own strength, and I'm tired of living for myself. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I'm crying out to you. And you don't have to say it in my words, but you got to say it. <laughs> Because he did all that for you and he's offered it as a gift and the gospel is you get to receive it as a gift. And if you're here today and you've heard the gospel a billion times, <laughs> I don't know what you're facing right now, but I, I know a lot of you are facing things. Can I challenge you? Can I challenge you to fight the doubt in your mind even right now that's saying, yeah, I get it. I've heard that before, but that's not really going to help this time. Can I just call that out and say that is a, yet another instance of our spiritual enemy trying to take you down from within? That even as you're listening to the word of God explained, he's whispering in your ear saying, no, that's not for you. You can't have that. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's, did God really say? That's, if you are the son of God. Can I remind you today, Christian, you are his child. You are dearly loved. He has won the war. And if today, if all you can do is stand, that's victory. So stand in his strength. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much. We thank you for this message. We thank you for this book, uh, for every single word, God, that you've given us. Lord, we do not want to take for granted one moment. Um, any of the ways in which you have challenged us, encouraged us, and called us. God, nothing that we can do for your kingdom um, comes from our own strength. It comes from you. Lord, even the faith that we have and we place in you is a gift from you. And so, God, I just pray that you would awaken faith. I know it's going to show up in a lot of different ways, but I pray that faith would be awakened in different situations here today, God. I pray for people who are facing the hard realities of life. I pray for people who are facing um, life stories that have been marred and scarred by sin. People that have been hurt, that have been wronged. Lord, we know that in all that, that you're a healer. We know that in all that, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so I just speak those truths over this church body today. 
God, I pray if there's anyone here who is crossing that line of faith today, Lord, that they would turn to you and that we would rejoice with them, Lord, because all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents, Lord, and we want to rejoice too. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. It's not my words, Lord. It's your word that brings life and that calls us up, that conjures up faith in our hearts. And so we look to you. We pray that you would move even during this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.